Good morning, everybody. This is Mark Fierbacher for the Elevate Rochester podcast. Visit Elevate Rochester at elevaterochester.org. Check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn. Check out our podcast wherever podcasts are found. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and the like. Anywhere podcasts are found, pretty much, you will find us. Uh, I am the president of Universal Imports of Rochester, and within the last year, I'm happy to say I am now on the board of directors for Elevate Rochester, formerly Raybeff Rochester Area Business Ethics Foundation. And normally we would be in the throes of getting together our ethical award ceremony that usually happens in the fall. But because of the pandemic, we had to change things up a bit. So we're doing an interview series, and today's episode is going to feature our very own Bob Whipple speaking to Kevin Beckford from the University of Rochester. Enjoy. Hello, my name's Bob Whipple, and I'm also called the Trust Ambassador. I'm here today with Kevin Beckford, who is the Senior HR Director for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the University of Rochester. Kevin also serves on the board as a member of the Pittsford Town Board. The reason I'm chatting with Kevin today is that I'm on the board of an organization that used to be called the Rochester Area Business Ethics Foundation, or RABATH. We've changed our identity to Elevate Rochester this year. In fact, we did it just before COVID-19 hit. Since 2002, we have run an annual event to identify ethical organizations in our region and celebrate them with an Ethi Award in the fall. It's always been our vision as an organization that Rochester be the gold standard of ethical cultures. As a result of COVID-19 this year, we decided that the ethical thing to do was postpone our 2020 ethy contest to 2021, thus giving us the opportunity to elevate Rochester in a different way this year. Part of that change is a series of interviews such as I'm having with Kevin today. We are hoping to be helpful at engaging a more diverse populations and use the ethy process in the future to help elevate Rochester even more than we've done in the past. This would benefit our entire community in two ways. Organizations with strong ethical cultures are more profitable and sustainable than those with weak cultures. And two, celebrating the best ethical cultures will highlight what is going right in our community and give higher visibility to that, thus elevating Rochester to become the gold standard. So Kevin, I wanna ask you for your ideas on what Elevate Rochester can do to contribute. I think one of the things that's been um, historically for me in 28 years now in the business world, um, I spent about 18 years with Eastman Kodak and then uh, 10 years after that in banking and finance. Um, and um, and you know, one of the things that was really, I would say, a good learning sort of uh, point for me as I grew in my leadership career over time um, was the importance of ethics. Uh, and that you are, uh, um, as you get into your first leadership role, you start to realize that a lot of the decisions that you make, they're, they're really made sometimes in a, um, where you're the only one that knows that's making that decision. 
And to me, ethics is something, when I remember when I took that class in college, it talked about, you know, um, making those decisions that's the right thing to do, especially when no one's watching, and how that brings a level of credibility to the process. Uh, and so that is always, that was one class I love so much that um, I, I literally used the principles from that class, I would say just about every month, uh, and sometimes more frequent than that, when it comes to the very difficult business decisions, where mm. um, as far as how ethics can play a role in having a model for how you make decisions, and then overlaying it mm. with the circumstance, realizing that you may not like the outcome, but it's, it's based on the principal approach towards how you make that decision. Um, and it, it was something that uh, I would say what you can do is really weaving into training of onboarding of new leaders. The best time to get to a leader is when they take their first leadership post. If a leader starts out with the understanding that the ethics and how they lead, how they serve uh, the employees and the business and the community they live and work in, um, if it's not wrapped around a shroud of ethics, uh, it's why you, you end up with problems that you see in the news where, you know, um, you know, pretty significant organizations, Wells Fargo comes to mind, where they struggled with some significant ethical decisions that were made that went all the way up the chain of command. And, and, right. and what that suggests is that if you don't get to leaders in the early part of their leadership career, they can actually build a pretty successful career absence of, of, of ethics. Um, and that's a liability. Yeah. Uh, if you're a shareholder company, you're asking for trouble because you may have good um, performance today. And in fact, that performance may not be real. Like in the case of Wells Fargo, right? They were opening accounts and uh, getting big bonuses and things look good, but they were opening up accounts for people that didn't know they had those accounts. Yeah. Uh, and so, so, so it can drive business to look better than it is. And then when it comes crashing down, you lose value and then you lose respect. Yeah. You lose the sense of credibility and your brand then becomes known for, um, you have to watch them closely because if, if no one's watching, they will do something inappropriate. Right. So ethics to me is as important, uh, if not more than what you do, because if you're a very strong ethical, ethical company um, throughout every part of your value chain from your individuals, your employees, uh, individual contributors, your leaders, all the way up, um, where you show that sometimes a decision is made that's ethical, that may be costly, yep. but at the same token, what you end up getting is the, um, uh, the renewed benefit. In fact, I remember a story about the Brownie camera in the early days of Kodak, whereby um, there was a mistake that was made, and, they, and, and so George Eastman decided to recall every camera and fix it and send it out at a huge cost. But what that did is that, that then put an associated Kodak with quality for the rest of its time up until, you know, um, even during our more difficult periods. And so it was a, a judgment call that showed that if quality is important to you ethically, then you stand by it even if it costs, because what you're not giving away is your brand recognition of ethics. Yeah, and it's like the Tylenol situation years ago where they recalled all that defective Tylenol. You know, what we, what we find is that companies that go through our process of applying for a, uh, the ethy process and actually putting yep. in the application and going through a site visit, they come back, 100% of them come back and say, whether or not we actually received an ethy award at the end of the process is icing on the cake we benefited tremendously by going through the process because it brought ethics 
into our daily conversation. And from then on, it's been there. It's right front and center in everything we do. So we yep. think that that's yep. a great, that ha just having the contest is a great way to promote an ethical culture. You got it. And I, I think that, um, and, and probably from a leadership perspective, um, the more you can generate that sort of culture and mindset of, of ethics, it's the best insurance against bad things happening because that means that even if you have one leader that's an outlier, he or she can be sort of counterbalanced with someone that says that's in the room that can raise your hand to say, hey, that's not, that's not ethical. Exactly. Um, we, we all assume in being... We, as human beings, we have a tendency to rationalize things. And so we say, oh, you know, that's under the circumstances, that's an okay thing to do. But if you have yeah. a great culture, like you're talking about, somebody's going to knock on the door and say, wait a minute, I, is that really the right thing to do? And you are prevented from making yep. a rationalized mistake. And, 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 and one could argue that um, in some businesses, certainly it's huge in terms of cost avoidance, mistakes, brand uh, destruction, or brand impact. I, I would argue it even can cost a life, right? Because some ethical decisions that are made, oh, sure. um, you know, in the case of uh, the Pinto, remember the Pinto yeah. example, whereby um, you know, they made a decision that when we look at how many we're going to make, the probability of this happening, it's going to cost X amount using the average cost per life, it would cost us X amount of million dollars to fix. Boy, if we don't do anything, we'll, we'll lose so many lawsuits and have to settle. And it's, you know, an order, of, you know, minus X. Um, and so they made a decision to do that. Now, bad decision, right? Because now the Pinto is always associated with that. Uh, the company lost tremendous um, um, value in its brand because people didn't trust their product to say, whoa, you mean you actually made a decision to put out a product you know was going to kill so many people, but you thought you would just pay for those lives that you killed um, nice. to save actually fixing the problem. So that was, that was that's, that's one example. I would, this is you know somewhat of a stretch, but it's along those lines because it's a little bit more conf complicated than that. But if you think about the most recent circumstance with George Floyd, um, what I when I first watched that video, I saw the murder. The second time I watched it, I watched the officer that had the knee on Mr. Floyd's neck. The third time I watched it, I looked at the officer standing around that officer, and what I saw was officers that were that essentially did not independently act on their ethics, not just their personal ethics, but the ethics of the police officer. Uh -huh. So that's an example of where the police officers have an ethical code to protect and to serve. But because they didn't exercise that, um, then it, they ended up being now an accomplice in a murder. Right. And so it's so it's a it's a it's a very interesting example of where the training for the police officers um, has a flaw baked into it that says following the command without recognizing that you individually as a leader have to understand ethics and your role in that and have to be prepared. And to know that you will be supported by the company, in this case, law enforcement, to say, you know, yes, you might violate the command of your officer, which would normally be a bad thing. But if it's pursuant to really having you stand up for ethics, um, we will protect you. Mm. And so there's a there's a cultural issue there that's pervasive throughout law enforcement throughout the country, because that's not the only example we've seen. That's just that's an egregious example. But it seems to be in sync with officers watching things and not intervening 
and not feeling that they are empowered to do so. And so um, having a good ethical code is good. Training to be able to say, everyone's being trained on the same ethics. And I want you to know when it comes to ethics, there's no hierarchy. So you look at the organizational chart of ethics, everybody's on the same floor. So in other words, you could have a subordinate telling a, uh, their superior, that's not ethical. And mm -hmm. I can't sign on to that. I can't support that. And in fact, as a company, we shouldn't. And so I would encourage you to take a second look. to And know that that employee is not going to get punished for saying that. That's the, that's the uh, big issue. That's, the, that's, that's where it comes back to trust. That's where my, I, I link into these things. Because if you have high trust and, yeah. and you, people know that they're not going to get punished if they bring up stuff that's t tough to, to bring up, um, yeah. then you get people empowered to speak up and, and, and do the right thing at the right time. You got it. And it actually, what it does, it creates a sense of, um, I would say, subtle guidance for senior leaders to say, I know that my subordinates or my employees that I serve are equally capable of calling me on an ethical decision. So therefore, it's a culture of accountability that you're creating that says when it comes to ethics, we're mutually accountable. Yeah. When it comes to certain principles as, and values, vision, of a company were equally accountable. In fact, I, I'll never forget my most memorable moment was that I had a, and not in my current role, just to be clear, <laughs> uh, but in a role, some point in my career, um, I had a individual that was a senior leader that I felt was really, um, based on what they were, were doing, was just not the most ethical person in the world. And I remember having a conversation with them and they, they tried to sort of pull the, uh, I'm the senior person, card on me and I listened very nicely and I just said when I was done when they were done I said are you all are you all done and I said, yeah. I said well first of all I said let me let you know that the vision and values I actually have a copy of them with me I travel with them all the time so I there I want them to essentially permeate every part of me in terms of how I treat people or I listen to people I said and also for days like this where I have a senior leader that's telling me that that you have your own set of values I want you to know that we only have one set of values as a company and your title does not entitle you to your own set of values so i feel confident i'm standing on and in front of our values right now i don't believe you are so i would Amazing. strongly suggest you reconsider your decision and if you don't i'm fully prepared to escalate this beyond you i said and and remember just to remind you as i close one key part of our values is retaliation i said so i would encourage you that if you don't like what i'm saying you know, I'm, I'm not against you. I just cannot stand with you because you're creating a set of values that does not comport with the values that you and I signed on to. And I got up and I, and I left the room and nothing. What happened is that leader changed your mind. Now, I, the next day, I, when I swiped my card, I was a little nervous. I was like, is the little green light coming on? <laughs> but well, you know, I got to tell you, you have to, you have to be prepared to do that. And, and I have to tell you, that leader respected me after that yeah. in a way that was um, different. Because Tremendous courage, yeah. Oh, my gosh. He realized that, you know something? You actually helped me from doing something that could have cost him his career. Um, huh. So, I, you know, it was, we weren't friends. But he certainly, there was a, a modicum of respect that I picked up that day that I did not have before. And you demonstrated a principle that, uh, that I always espouse, that values are, are great. It's great to have values 
it's more important to absolutely always live the values and especially when it's inconvenient, expensive, or difficult to do, that's yeah. when the values do you the, the most good. And that's when you have to rely on them and go back and say, nope, this is not convenient, this is not easy, but we're doing this because we have a value of integrity or whatever the value is, and that's why yeah. we're doing that. And you can explain that to people and they can understand. You got it, you got it. Um, you know, it's, I remember, um, not a business example, but it illustrates when you, and at those difficult intersections where it's hard to make a decision, when my wife and I met late in life, and um, uh, and so we, we, had, we ended up only having one child, um, and when she was pregnant with my daughter, uh, we discovered that she had a problem with her right arm uh, called the ulnar nerve, and so they needed to have a surgery to basically lift up the nerve and move it to a new part of her arm, um, because where it was located, it was getting pinched, and she was getting muscle atrophy, and so we are finding out in the middle of our pregnancy that um, if she didn't have the surgery, she could lose full function of her arm from her uh, mm. elbow down to her arm, and it would be useless. It was a right dominant arm. Mm. Um, and, and so we were at this intersection where he says, well, if we do the surgery, though, there's chances are you're going to lose your child because we have to put you fully under. Oh. So we, so we, we were agonizing. And, and so we sat down and I said, well, it has to be your decision because it's your body. I said, so whatever you decide, I will support. I said, but let me offer you a tool that you can use that I learned in my ethics class. Let's think about a different circumstance um, and how we would make that decision according to our ethics. And then overlay that in this problem. And then whatever that produces, that's actually what we do. Even if we don't like it, we'll know it's in sync with our ethics. And so that's what we did. And she said, um, okay. So she says, well, I said, well, if, you know, if, if, if there was anything that we had to do that was important, like, so if we had cancer or something like that, would we pursue that, you know, to get that done because to save your life. And then she says, you know something? No, I would not do that because, you know, I've had a good life and I would not jeopardize the beginning of my child's new life. And so I would wait to do my chemotherapy after our, our child was born. I said, okay, let's overlay it to this problem. And she says, that's easy. And we, we hold off on the surgery. And we sat down with the surgeon and say, well, the day after the, you know, <laughs> as soon as she's able to come out of the hospital and we ended up having a C-section, um, within a week she was in and had surgery and we were able to stop the damage. And she still has full use of her arm, but it's just not as strong as her other arm. But we use that sort of, ethical sort of approach to say, well, use a totally different circumstance that's not maybe as emotionally charged, and then overlay it to say, how, how do our principles guide us through this intersection? That's great. You know, and and, and there's the standard uh, Kantian approach of the very different different ethical tools that the, the, the trick is to first recognize that you have an ethical dilemma. A lot of yeah, people yeah. have one and don't realize it. And so therefore, yeah. they're making compromises and decisions that are not appropriate. But once you can get to a point where somebody says, you know, this really is an ethical issue here. Now we have lots of different tools in our ethical yeah. tool bag to go in and analyze and figure out in this circumstance, what is the right thing to do. Well, Kevin, I know you've got a, uh, an event to get to, and I really appreciate you're actually in your car right now. You're not driving. But <laughs> no, yeah. But I, I did throw up a virtual background so you didn't see the car. So I... <laughs> 
But uh, I really appreciate your chatting with me and uh, you and I are friends from when we worked together on the African-American Leadership Development Program. So I look forward yeah. to seeing you there again. And thanks very much for taking the time to work with us today and share some knowledge. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. All right, take care. There's another great interview with Bob Whipple with Kevin Beckford. We appreciate Kevin's time. Visit us on Facebook, LinkedIn. If you have any questions, you can reach us through those sites, and we'll be happy to either get you involved or answer any questions that you might have. Until next time, I'm Mark Fearbacher for the Elevate Rochester podcast. Have a great day.